This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. It's the Yukon Popcast. I'm Professor Stephen Dyson. And I'm Professor Jeff Dudas. And Jeff, today we're discussing uh, a book. We haven't discussed a, a book in the past. This is our first time delving into this medium, and we're going to discuss Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. Yeah, so books for or against? Four. You're, you're, you're in favorite yes. books. Okay, me too. I like I like them as well. Yeah. And not the first one I've read, just the first one we've discussed on the exactly. on the channel. Prophet Song, um, a work of literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, the winner of the 2023 Booker Prize, yes. which is kind of the British, the main British literary um, prize. Mm-hmm. It's a dystopian novel, is that fair to say? Amongst other things. Yeah. Yes. And in this dystopian novel, a fascist? Totalitarian, totalitarian, totalitarian maybe the, for the, sure. the safer word. Yes, government uh, comes to power uh, quite suddenly and with with very little context um, in yeah. the Republic of Ireland. Right, and so Prophet Song is then the story, not really of the only partially of the trajectory of that regime, but much more about the the highly localized effects of that regime's mm-hmm. kind of actions and operations on the Stack family. Yes, Eilish Stack, who's the the sort of central character. Yep. Uh, Larry Stack, um, who, who disappears quite <laughs> uh, well, li- literally, actually, he's disappeared quite yes. early on. And there, what do they have? Four children. Four children, one baby. Yeah, a baby, a, a daughter who's um, fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. a, a middle son who's sort of what, fifteen, he, 16? The, 40, the 15, oldest 16? son is sixteen. Okay, at the beginning of the narrative. So barely the middle son has got to be middle son's forty, eleven 30? or twelve. Okay, okay, younger so slightly than younger than I thought. Yes. Okay. All right, and and it's their story of how they attempt to survive um, within that that context. Yes. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's talk about. Um, I think maybe we should go actually straight to our first section, yes. which is which is the kind of on the surface on the section. Surface. We do have three sections when we uh, discuss works mm-hmm. of popular culture. Um, section one, which we call on the surface, where we address matters of. Uh, plot and textuality yep. and maybe uh, textual technique regardless of yep. what the medium is and maybe intertextual yep. allusions uh, section two which we call mythologies where we address the meaning structures that 
audiences, I nearly said the audience, but of course right. audiences, audiences, plural, might bring to the text and that are necessary to, to kind of comprehend different parts of the, yep. of the text. And then section three, which we call critique, in exactly. which we um, either find or attempt to provide a sort of against the grain understanding of what's going on or, yes. or locate something in the text that is troubling or problematizing some elements of quote-unquote reality. Right, and the other thing that we do in this final uh, layer of analysis of critique is that we do a bit of a deep dive into what critical and other learned commentators on the work have done and what they yes. make of it. And given the the prestige nature of this book, we're not going to be at a loss for these kinds of uh, criticisms or interpretations of prophet. No, it's a, it's a hi highly acclaimed um, yes. book amongst the the prestige community and, and won the Booker Prize. Maybe we should actually, before we do plot, get, uh, do a bit of a temperature check. Yeah. Um, you hate this. I, I didn't like it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I am... Um, I, I didn't hate it, mm -hmm. I, but, I'm, but I'm not sure to what extent I'm, I'm yeah. appreciative of it. That's kind of a, an open question. I will say this about it, that that I've continued to, I, I kind of finished it about a month ago, and mm -hmm. I've, I've continued to think about it, and, and not only because we were going to talk about it, because yes. like, bits of it continued to come back yep. to me, some scenes really stuck with me. Yes. Um, so, so anyway, it's let's... It's definitely memorable, and so I don't have any, it's not that I find it unmemorable, it's, as we'll talk about, I, um, I had a lot of problems with the, the overall structure of the narrative, the way that it's embedded, and I was left wanting to understand to whom the intended audience was okay. and what the intended message was. Okay. All right. So let's get into section one, which is our section mm -hmm. um, on the surface. I guess the first thing we should talk about is is plot. We've already yeah. said a little bit. This yeah. is the the coming to power very suddenly in the work of a um, in the in the wake, sorry, of a, a teachers' strike. Um, the, a, a totalitarian government. Maybe that's just a, a even that I think is unclear. And this yeah. is one of one of the issues. And I guess we may as well just since we're talking about plot okay. and a part of the on the surface element of the ana level of analysis is the question of the author's intention, mm -hmm. right? And what what is the what does the author intend the audience to understand? And here, I would say by and large that this is a deeply underdeveloped and undercontextualized story. Um, it fixates so much on the Stack family that it essentially ignores or doesn't provide us with any kind of specific context. In fact, although the novel is set in Dublin, I'm pretty sure that the only people who would understand any of these references are Dubliners. Okay. Did you understand any of the street references or the I, old... I, I didn't. So, so I've... I've... I haven't spent a lot of time in Dublin, yeah. but I've been there often enough. I mean, like actually largely because it's a connecting flight yeah, yeah. destination. So I'll often meet my family uh -huh. there. Um, uh, I've been there often enough that I have a, a a sense of Dublin that I found useful in. And maybe that's uh -huh. why I, I like the book a little bit okay. more. I could actually imagine walking some of these streets. Yeah. No, I, di I didn't recognize any of the individual right. streets. Right. Uh, but I had enough of a, a kind of a sense of the atmosphere yeah. of the of the place we, to get which it. Which I found, str I mean, on one hand, and maybe we should just talk about this now. On one hand, one can understand Lynch's intention at decontextualizing the story and the the elements of the story that would give it a truly embedded sense of place. One can understand that because part of what's going on here, maybe the entirety of the author's intention is to present a general story of it can, it can happen here. 
right? The, the, the descent into totalitarianism can happen in even places that appear to be stable, right? And so the goal is a universal goal and to not embed it too specifically within any one locale or too specifically within, for example, any one sense of um, political ideology or motivation. Yeah. Um, but it also means that when it comes to trying to understand for the, the reader to try to understand what has led or precipitated these events, the reader's left with almost nothing. And so you had mentioned that it, it appears to be a totalitarian crackdown in consequence or in response to a teacher strike, but I don't know that we actually get that there's a teacher's strike. We get that there's a protest, right, that the teacher's union is launching. But even before that protest, it's clear that the union is in a perilous position. The teacher's union is in a perilous position politically, but we don't know why. Yeah. So so I think that I, I agree with all of that. I, I suppose I don't see it quite as the the weakness you do i think it's i don't think it's inadvertent or, or kind of bad storytelling or bad, bad writing all. i think he's trying to produce a sort of allegorical story i think you write the right word is is, is it supposed to be universal mm -hmm. and i suppose the the point of not kind of telling a political history of precisely how this happened is that it could have been the teacher strike but actually it was it was gonna. It was something these people wanted to do anyway, and they were just looking for some kind of excuse. Mm -hmm. It was not like, oh no, the teachers are on strike. This is a m major threat to yeah. the <laughs> moral core of the country. It was essentially the other side, which I, I characterized in our the notes we exchanged yeah. before the show as kind of the comfortable liberal yeah. side is kind of kicking up a fuss and they're doing something that's a bit ambiguous, and we can use this as a a sort of um, an excuse for launching the sets of political repressions that we were yes. going to do. But it could have been something else as well. It could have been some sure. other kind of objectionable, from their standpoint, liberal event or, or sure. behavior. Sure. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a quote here mm -hmm. from the book, Jeff, because I, I think it goes to your concern about um, the, the sort of parochial nature of the story or the decontextualized nature yeah. of the story. So th this is a quote from, from the novel. The world is always ending over and over again in one place, but not another. And the end of the end of the world is always a local event. That mm -hmm. I thought was quite an, a mm -hmm. crucial quote. The end yep. of the world is always a local event. It comes to your country and visits your town and knocks on the door of your house and and comes and becomes to others, but some distant warning, a brief report on the news, an echo of events that has passed into folk folklore. Yes. So, so I think that's that's crucial. That the this this the. the, the, the avoidance of a detailed political narrative in the plot and specificity and the relentless focus on the highly localized literally household experience of the stack family is is a sort of philosophical view on what catastrophe is and and, and that it's not grand events and great mm -hmm. great men to you know great men theory of history it's it's highly localized but but that doesn't make it any less apocalyptic that is what the apocalypse is. It's not. It's not going to be a world war necessarily, or a, a comet, you know, a massive planet-killing asteroid striking the Earth. It happens to people every day. It's always happening to people. Yes. It's just if they're not you, 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 you don't experience it as the apocalypse. I agree with all of that. However, the issue is that it's just not true that all places 
experience this kind of instability. Ah, but it That's, could be. This is his, this but, is his other it, great point, right? It, it, could, it could happen here. But it couldn't. The only way that that becomes persuasive is if you embed the story of decline in a, in a in an explanation for what has happened, right? Okay. It, it is simply not true that the places that have experienced this are all the same. That it, That isn't true. And moreover, the experience, that localized experience of the apocalyptic is also not the same everywhere. Um, there are reasons why certain communities and societies have experienced these kinds of calamitous declines and slips into totalitarian politics. And it's going to look different. It, it simply does not look the same everywhere. And I just, while the experience may have a felt local experience, in depicting that experience as the same loss everywhere, I think Lynch has really kind of, he's lost the ability to persuade the audience that would be otherwise inclined to find this an interesting tale. That's, yes. Okay. All right. So uh, we, we, we can maybe come back to this the, yeah. the, this point because I think it's sort of I mean, at, at let, the, let, at let the core it, of differing, yeah. differing views and you I, might I, have I don't about want to this. I fixate book. too much on this, but let me put it to something that we couldn't quite figure out at the beginning. You said it's a totalitarian regime, but we don't know if it's a fascist regime. Right. Well, that's exactly the point. Yes. We don't know if it's a fascist regime. There, there seem to be elements, right? There are elements throughout the story where they refer to the party, where they refer to the, the importance of the state, right? That the state is a living being. There's the uh, another quote that you had pulled that comes to Eilish. It's in one of her dream, a nightmare, really, right? In which a, a member of the Garda says to her, you know, rights exist at the, essentially at the behest of the state, their inventions of the state. Right. And what the state decides is what reality is. And so that certainly sounds pretty fashy, right? But there are other elements that, that don't... I mean, there are other elements that don't suggest that kind of... Um, commitment to the state and to overwhelming authoritarian power in principle, mm. right? There are other elements that suggest that it's much more kind of a weird sort of civil war, jo you know, rather ordinary jockeying for power, right? And so this is, this is part of the issue that I have with it is that it's really difficult to understand the motivations of all of the characters, but it's especially difficult to understand the motivations of the people who are aligned with the regime, who are presented as essentially one-dimensional evil characters. And that's not especially persuasive, both because that's not actually how the vast majority of even supporters of totalitarian regimes are, but it's also problematic because it imagines it doesn't imagine the most disturbing parts of what leads one to engage in, you know, authoritarian or fascist adjacent behavior, which is that a lot of these, for a lot of folks who do it, it's just an adaptation to circumstance, right? Yeah. And were the circumstances different, they would behave differently. So I, I like, I, I, I didn't have that reaction. I mean, my, my sense was um, that the the novel is not about politics; it's about family, and that that you know you, you and I are you know yeah. we're political scientists. We we we're used to wanting <laughs> you know a lot of information about the ins and outs of the political mm -hmm. ideologies, and um, so we can judge like is it 
is this plausible? Is this like realistic? Is this so like most people just don't experience the the behavior of the 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 state in that way? It, it's like how does it affect my family? And that's the point of the novel. So it would be distracting to get into a long ideological debate about which particular element of um, overweening state power or ideology of overweening state power is driving what's going on. The the actual point is um, how does it affect the family? And it, and in particular. And, and I think, you know, to, to, to kind of push the plot summary on a little bit, that the recurrent question that is posed by the, the events in the plot is, at, at what point do you know that you've tipped over from mm -hmm. a normal political situation or even an abnormal but temporary yep. and survival, survivable political situation into a situation where you have to run for your life? Yeah. And, and the plot is kind of constantly posing, particularly to Eilish. I mean, yep. Larry is kind of out of the picture yep. relatively early on. So Eilish is left as the responsible mm -hmm. parent trying to keep the household together. Mm -hmm. um, the, the plot is continually posing to her this question of, you know, do, do you know when to leave? Mm -hmm. And then at the point that you know it is time to leave, it, is it not already too late? And, and Eilish's character is, is, has been critiqued in some reviews, and I think you hold this view too, mm -hmm. that she's a, like, catastrophically stupid <laughs> and irresponsible parent and she, and she yeah. behaves in sort of willfully blind ways in staying too long i actually read her as someone slightly differently who she was acutely aware of the she was not accurately aware of the risks and the dangers but she she knew that there were risks and dangers mm -hmm. but she was she was constantly weighing them against um the the, the chance that for example larry would be returned yeah and and you know yeah. what would happen if she was gone or and, and there's there's always she's always put in these situations where it's not as simple as here's the door do you want to walk out it there there were it, it was always a, a, mm -hmm. a huge trade-off between catastrophic losses of leaving weighed against the hope that staying might remain yeah. a viable option yeah. i should say i wouldn't say that i find her to be catastrophically stupid mm -hmm. Or dense. I may have slightly what, overstated what, your view. What there. I found to be ultimately disabling about this narrative, which is put into the words of you know a very minor character at the end when they're in the the refugee camp, not the refugee camp, but when they're with the smugglers waiting to be um, to sm be smuggled across to um, not to freedom but to out of the country essentially, um, is. This notion that Lynch has and that he puts in his characters' mouths and his characters' actions, that this is all faded, that nothing could be done. So it's it's not so much that Eilish imagines herself to be making difficult decisions. It's that she doesn't imagine there to be a decision to be made at all. She imagines herself to have no agency in this situation, which is then a position that is endorsed explicitly by the author. In fact, on the the, the one of the opening quotes, right? All all that is is all that can be, or something to that effect. And um, the problem with that is that the momentum of the narrative itself suggests that that's just not true. Okay, right? That she is consistently Eilish is making choices, even as she imagines herself to be powerless to the flow of events. Okay, and that to me, I think, is that's the big problem with her character that's interesting so i want to i want to put a pin in that because mm -hmm. that's one of the kind of mythologies you right. know societal meaning structures that i that i want to come back to which is yeah. the notion of i don't know what the right term term for it is the comfortable liberal or the um 
the 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 educated person the educated person of some means within society who believes themselves to be <laughs> an agent and and what really what level of agency do you actually have yeah. at the end of the day which i think is a is is a, a cop uh, question the book is asking um in terms of in terms of plot or the or, or sorry our first section on the yeah. on the surface um i think we didn't we didn't quite go through the the plot but we we did it in in yeah. enough in enough detail that i think listeners and, and viewers might have a sense of what goes on without just giving exactly. giving, giving a bunch of spoilers exactly. i think we might be okay yeah with that in terms of kind of questions of technique Techn and maybe intertextual yeah. illusions which is also an on the surface thing what, what do you what do you want to say about that well one of the distinctive elements of the prose for sure is the um the kind of the the flowing sense of it um we get no meaningful paragraph breaks. We get very long sentences, um, sentences that are sometimes absent punctuation. Um, there's a lot of discussion between the characters, a lot of interchange between the characters and direct quotes that are not offset with quotation marks. So this has been, um, I, I think, correctly identified by some reviewers as a kind of attempt to create a claustrophobic sense of what things are like for Eilish. This is all told from Eilish's perspective, right? So what it what it's like for her life to feel as jumbled up, right, as, as it does during this period. And um and so Lynch has created a uh, he has stylized the presentation of the prose in a way that emphasizes that claustrophobic flowing nature in which there aren't clear breaks or clear um, ways to organize experience. Um, that I think technically is probably the most distinctive element. Yeah, I, th I think that's what's going on. Um, and so, you know, when characters are speaking, there's people think words, their speech isn't put in quotation marks, right. you know, and, and as you say, there's, there's no paragraph break. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes a stream of consciousness. Is it stream of consciousness? Would you put it in those terms? Uh, um, it has elements of it that. It has elements of that. Yeah. Particularly when you consider that a, another distinctive element is that the there's this constant interweaving of metaphor and allegory, mm -hmm. um, and particularly with references to nature. Yeah, right. Um, and it's a kind of a slipping in and out of all of that. And I think the idea again is to present a kind of sensory experience that feels overwhelming. Yeah, to the character. Yeah, and and that Lynch is trying to convey that sense of of being overwhelmed to yeah. the reader as well yeah yeah um now i think it's worth saying that although this is a distinctive technique in fiction it is, it is not original um and and it's it's so it's i think some of the reviewers have imagined this to be a radical and inventive technique and it really is not um it's it's a technique that was I mean, we were talking about earlier. I, I mean, the the obvious example that comes to mind is Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 1975 book, The Autumn of the Patriarch, which is actually even more jarring and disorienting in a stylistic sense because he doesn't even end sentences. It's just all one long sentence, um, and for for pages and pages, sometimes chapters on end, um, and so, and and there are others as well. And you had talked about. You know, there are elements of, of Hemingway's fiction in which you get this kind of jumbled up um, uh, presentation of, of the narrative. Um, this is not to invalidate it as a method, but it is to maybe put the 
brakes on the idea that this is something radically inventive that yeah, has never been seen in fiction. Before. I was going to say, I, I did not, when I read it, I thought this this is a style and a recognizable style. I didn't think this is a revolution in, in literary <laughs> and, and as we're talking about, I, neither of us found it difficult to read no. or to follow. No. Right? We've seen this kind of thing before, which is something else that I've seen some reviewers say is that they felt disoriented themselves in reading it and they couldn't understand what was going on. I, I thought it was perfectly comprehensible. It's pretty grounded, I thought, yeah. actually, to be honest. The, the other distinctive part of his technique that, that I, I noticed and that reviewers have commented on, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, is that the, the sort of a fairly constant use of um, use as verbs of words that are not verbs. So he mm. says things like the, the traffic light reds, she forks a salad, she, she coins for you a, a, a shopping cart. Yeah, so I didn't know if that was... At first I thought I it was like it was typos, and then, well, I, then I thought, is it an Irish thing? See, this is what I was wondering. I didn't know if it was colloquial and, yeah. and if it's... And so I guess I still don't know. Apparently not, if reviewers are... Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not aware of it being a distinctively Irish way of uh -huh. if, if it is, that's, that's I mean, interesting and and so on. Um, but but again, I, I thought it was interesting the first couple of times, then I thought it was a bit sort of affected. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what the point of that would be. If we can no. understand the choice, the stylistic choice of, you know, um, of not using conventional marks of punctuation right. as pointing to we're trying to create the environment to mimic the environment of claustrophobia and overwhelmedness that that eilish is feeling then i don't i wouldn't know how to explain it's sort of hemming esque it's it's a very economic way of writing because you're, you're cutting down literally the number of ways in a sentence I suppose. yeah i guess yeah but the, the for for reviewers and people who have not liked the book mm -hmm. they, they've posited that on occasion lynch doesn't quite trust the scenario he's created to carry the weight of the novel. And so he's had to do some quite showy things, uh -huh. showy metaphors uh -huh. and, you know, odd, odd ways of writing yeah. to, to retain interest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So uh, that should do it for On the Surface. Yes. And so we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with Section 2, Mythologies. And we're back with um, Section 2 of our discussion of Paul Lynch's Prophet Song. Mm -hmm. This is the section on mythologies. In this section, we maybe veer away slightly from the, well, actually quite a lot from the author's yeah. intention and the, yeah. the kind of literal presence of, of words on a page in this right. case. And we talk about meaning structures that, mm -hmm. that might be necessary or might, or might be brought yeah. to the text by uh, particular audiences yeah. and that are going to help them or direct them in how mm -hmm. to decode its meaning. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things we might talk about in terms of uh, Prophet Song, yeah. Jeff. The, the one I really want to talk about is the, the, the notion of the comfortable liberal. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm not quite sure how to phrase this, and maybe I want to talk about the notion of the comfortable liberal be, be, because I'm a comfortable <laughs> liberal. Yeah. But what, what I mean by this is the, the the person who is like Eilish or Larry Stack. You know, Larry is um, very proud of his sort of leadership position within um, a, a trade union, yep. and he's sort of very convinced that he can't be bossed around. Yes. I mean, he says at one point, um, I am the deputy general section of the Teachers' Union of Ireland, I do not hop, skip, and jump at their every command. The, the there being the powers that be in the state and so forth. Yeah. Um, Eilish is, um, what is she? She's like a, a, a scientist by trade. Yeah. But she and, and she's working in a, a sort like of like a biotech. Yeah, but it's like company. an but it's some kind of multinational or it, or it does multinational business or uh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. but she 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 too has yes. a. She what, has a PhD. Is, uh, she's a l very learned. So, so these are both like ed educated people who are not the kind of super elite, right? You know, at all, or really, a, you know, that certainly an educational elite, but probably not a financial elite. 
but but nonetheless, they they live comfortable, what you would call in a UK context or or an Irish context, middle class lives. In American context, you'd probably say what upper middle upper class, middle class yeah. upper middle class lives. Um, the, these are people I would say, and this I, I do think is a key, certainly to how I read the book. These are people who believe um, themselves to be meaningful agents mm-hmm. in control of their own lives. They believe in things like the uh, sphere of autonomy that the state accords to the individual and the family unit to determine mm-hmm. its own kind of destiny. And they believe in that largely because they learned political theory at some point in, if not university, in, in kind of high school. And they, they've sort of absorbed, they believe in democracy, they yeah. believe in civil rights and, yeah. and sort of classical liberalism. Mm-hmm. And they believe in them not as um, as perhaps people do in some societies that are not liberal democracies, as kind of causes to be fought for and things to be achieved. But they actually believe in them as facts of life. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and they're, they're, they also have the, what we might, I was going to say in another context, maybe in this context, they, they believe in privilege or they have privilege. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have the privilege of, um, for example, if they're stopped by the police, they, they believe they're going to be treated in a reasonable way. And if they're not treated in a reasonable way, they believe that pointing out the treatment is unreasonable yeah. w- will get the police to stop or going to a lawyer if you need to or a cop will get will get the behavior to stop. Right? These are, these are people who think they're in control of their lives. Um, they, 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 they believe themselves to be effective and they're secure mm-hmm. in their long-term future. Um, and, and what I think is interesting about the novel is that it's a, a deconstruction or, or showing to be false yes. of that complacent belief. Yes, it's a showing to be false of the complacent belief. But what it really is, is part of what's going on here is a kind of yo-yoing back and forth between the presentation of the Stack family and Eilish in particular as fully autonomous and fully capable of complete control over the circumstances of her life and of her destiny. And then the exact opposite as being completely under the thumb of fate and circumstance. And I would gesture, I would venture, I suppose, that both positions are deeply unrealistic. And the problem with Lynch's narrative is that he doesn't seem to understand that the notion that one is completely under the thumb of circumstance is just as unrealistic as the notion that one has full autonomy over the circumstances of their lives. Um, but I agree. But that's the subjective beliefs of the family. Again, yes. that's why it's, it's so important that there's a relentless focus not on the actuality, but it's the it's the subjective experience of of Eilish and, and her subjective yes. belief. Y- yes and no. I mean, in fairness, I think to Eilish, I, I think that her husband Larry is way more is presented as being way more confident in his ability to control the circumstances of life than Eilish is. Right. I mean, from the beginning, Eilish is having these kinds of like dark almonds mm. right i mean li- literally from the first line of the mm. of the novel right the the wrapping on the window right so i think you know in fairness to her she seems to be a little more a little less self-confident on these grounds than her husband is okay um which i think is probably what makes it especially difficult 
for her when she has the opportunity to basically prevent him from going to the protest at which he will be disappeared. Mm -hmm. And she, she, if she's finally convinced him, right, to maybe not go and to maybe pull back and that maybe, maybe the circumstances here are not in his control. And then just as he's about to agree with her, she says, no, you should go anyway. Stand on principle. Yeah. And of course, then he's, you know, the, the, the roiling catastrophe begins. Right, right. And, and, and that's the dilemma of the story. And that's the, the, the political point I think Lynch is trying to make is, you know, that if Larry doesn't go, he's, he's kind of self, it, it, it's mm -hmm. self-defeating. I mean, in, in, the, in, the, in the literal sense, he has defeated his own ideals. Yes. And, and any act of protest, you know, potentially carries mm -hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. But it's also the only way that a that a kind of liberal state can can survive and can renew itself. Yeah. Um. And the the horror of the book is the the attempt to the attempt is made to make that judgment to exercise the rights that are necessary for the state to continue to exist. Um. But 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 it's it's the inaccurate perception of what the result of what the consequences yeah. of that. Are going to be it's right. that it's it's a circumstance where um ev everyone is used to there being a certain set of boundaries and mm -hmm. a certain set of normal political behaviors yeah and those boundaries and behaviors have changed yeah and and larry in particular at the start is is caught um not having perceived that change in time and being swallowed up by the right. state and and that i did find quite so you didn't find that relatable you, you didn't find an echo of that sure. in you know the, the, there were there were lots. Of, I mean, we should try and make this nonpartisan. But yeah. there, there were lots of people who, after the the twenty sixteen mm -hmm. presidential election, would were sort of stunned at what had happened, and and then found it very difficult to accurately yeah. understand what had happened and and where the yeah. boundaries were. And you remember the the very first thing that the that was done by the administration was an attempt on a ban yep. of uh, immigration from yep. predominantly Muslim yep. countries, and and no one could quite tell where that was going and what the proper means of opposing it yeah. was. And it turned out that the proper means of opposing it was a fairly normal liberal democratic right. means of opposing it, which was, it was written so cack-handedly and obviously illegally. And the, the kind of the courts right. struck it down at least at, at first. Yeah. But there were also kind of mass protests. There was mm -hmm. the women's march, for example, yep. in the in the aftermath of the, yep. the presidential election. And I suppose the kind of, the, the what if is, you know, let's say there's the women's march and the the police don't just let it happen but they actually start kind of laying into the people mm -hmm. with with truncheons uh, and then what do people do is there a, is there a second larger yeah march in response to that yeah. and, and what if this what if the state actually keeps ratcheting up yeah you know and, and and when you're in these moments it's not actually entirely you, you don't have full certainty as to what the next move would sure. be and, and, and the point of the novel i think is is this what if the people on the other side are actually much more ruthless mm-hmm than you're perceiving them to be. Sure. Which is one, I, of, one of the ultimate liberal fears in, in public life, right? Which is why I think the comfortable liberal is, the, is, is one of the important uh, meaning structures for decoding this. It's that the rules of the game are, <laughs> we, we quote-unquote, are the comfortable liberal thinks these are the rules of the game, but actually the other people are a lot harder and, mm -hmm. and more ruthless, and they can win, actually, as soon as they choose to win. Yeah. Especially because we 
and I'm, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be partisan. I'm, yeah. I'm speaking in terms of these these mythological structures. We do not perceive right. that the rules of the game have changed. Right. And I'm sure there's a point that you know, in in, in any in any state with a liberal framework that backslides into authoritarianism, those things must happen both on a on a macro and a micro level. Sure, and and it also points to. It's a very privileged position, as it turns out, to believe that you will be protected mm. by, you know, the ineffability of something like rights. Right. All of that is true. But part of the issue with this narrative is that we don't know for how long this regime has been in power. And we don't know what has already happened in order to get to this point. I think it was a few months, wasn't it? I, and other points, I think it's, we're supposed to believe it's been a couple of years. Okay. And that power has been consolidating the entire time. I got the sense from the first part of the book that this wasn't, that the regime was not new. And that this kind of low level increasing repression had been going on for some time. Um, and so, if that's the case, then Larry's kind of obtuseness about what's happening is especially pronounced and points especially to the privilege of this imagined privilege of the position that, yeah. that he and, and the family are in. Right. Um, and, and it's also worth noting that it's not like Larry is the first of his peers who gets disappeared. Right. I mean, we, we, there are multiple other people who have, to whom this has already happened. And it still doesn't really seem to like penetrate, right? But, but again, I think I think this is precisely the point, right? That it that it doesn't penetrate because uh, the comfortable liberal is is someone who um, believes in a set of a set of things, but it but 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 because of their privilege, is rarely called upon to mm. take risks in service of them. So so that the the challenge that is being posed by Lynch, I would suggest, is. To the comfortable liberal, like don't don't be so secure and self satisfied in your own position. Mm -hmm. But also the challenge of um, e even within your own society, there are people who are not comfortable, <laughs> and and for whom these kind of damaging encounters with the state are to be expected. Mm -hmm. And when when Larry pompously jumps up and down and says, "I'm the deputy general secretary of the trade union. I do not hop, skip, and jump." Yeah. Well, there there are lots of people for whom. And, and quote unquote ordinary interaction with an instrument of right. state power is, is entirely yep. kind of dangerous and so forth. And this, this is not not at all a, an, an original point. Right. But uh, you know, I, I distinctly remember being pulled over by the police a couple of years ago for something like driving over a, too far to the right or you know uh -huh. over a side where we, and it was a cycle lane or something, um, and being like that was weird, but also being like this is weird, like why have you pulled me over? And, yeah. and being not scared and being like totally respectful, but also, um, you know, willing to kind of argue my, <laughs> uh -huh. I, I didn't actually realize that was something I was not supposed to do. And is it not more, would it not be more dangerous for me to be too close to the oncoming traffic and blah, 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 uh -huh. you know, but here I am white, you know, upper middle class mm -hmm. educated like person for, for other groups in society being pulled over the police by the police is a more frequent and b yeah. inherently more threatening and so maybe that's the the, the other side of the yeah of, of the coin yeah i guess if i explain that at all yeah relatively clearly yeah i mean I, I do i agree that that's part of what's going on here i guess i just it's not clear to me that the 
position of what you're calling the comfortable liberal is as widespread okay. as Lynch seems is, to is think it is. Is it not the boiled frog? I mean, there's a boiled frog. Problem, That's the right? analogy. The, the, fro the yes. frog doesn't know, you know, as, as the heat gets turned up, the frog is like, oh, is this comfortable? And then it's like, well, the heat will probably go down and it doesn't quite know when to jump out of the boiling water. Yes, that I think that's the analogy is the appropriate analogy. But I, and and I'm sorry, sorry, jumping out of the water, being attempting to flee the, to flee the borders of the state gets too hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think I just don't know how pervasive that incomprehension actually is. Okay, what what about this quote? Um, this is Eilish when she's talking to some functionary of the totalitarian yep. state. You speak about this word rights as though you understand the word rights. Mm -hmm. Show me what rights were born with man. Show me what tablet they're written on, where nature has, de has decreed it is so. You call yourself a scientist, and yet you believe in rights yeah. that do not exist. The rights you speak of cannot be verified. They are a fiction decreed by the state. It is up to the state to decide what it believes or does not believe according to its needs. Surely you understand this. So on one hand, it is a strikes me as a fairly straightforward resuscitation of fascist ideology. Um, on the other hand, it's also quite inaccurate with regard to the way that something like rights functions in a community. It is not actually up to the state to decide whether rights exist. To the extent that they are, that these are intangible kinds of felt senses of protection or felt senses of identity even as a rights-bearing person or a rights-bearing subject, the, the source of it is located in the culture of the place, not in the state. The state doesn't decree, right, the sense of identity. It can try, right? But I would suggest that Eilish is not dependent upon the state for her sense of being a rights-bearing person, she's rather dependent upon the community and the cultural beliefs in which she is enmeshed. Ah, but but is this not, Professor, um, a, a, an entirely comfortable liberal belief? Because the, the, the no, I don't the, think it the, is. The because... truth from 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 the states from the state standpoint, mm -hmm. right? You can talk to me about the culture and the rights that you believe you have, and mm -hmm. and the the theory that might lead you to believe this. I'm the dude with the gun. But right? here's how you know that the state doesn't have control in the way that it thinks it does. What happens when they engage in repression that is considered to be well past the boundaries of acceptability? They prompt an armed rebellion. They, they prompt civil war. Right. They, they don't repress. What they do instead is inspire resistance. And I, I think it's pretty clear that that sense of resistance comes from the felt sense of... of widespread violation. So sure, absolutely. But but then the arbiter of, of the, the question of who's going to win that civil war, mm -hmm. the people who believe rights are decreed by the state or the people believe, mm -hmm. who believe that they're, and, you know, kind of trans-historical inherent rights or they're decreed by the community. The question of which which view prevails then is one that's going to be settled by force. And that's mm -hmm. the that's the ultimate belief of the, or the ultimate distinguisher is, is it not of, a, of, a, of, an, of an, an ideology of totalitarianism or fascism? From one of liberalism, I mean, is is the question of who who gets to determine what rights you're allowed, and and the, the well, principle is who who controls it's, force. It's, it's maybe not quite so stark, right? I mean, the one of the ways of one of the ways in which liberal authority works is that it still relies upon all of the force and the repression of the state. It just disavows it 
and imagines it as being consensual. Well, but right. then you've, you've just proved Lynch's point, surely, Maybe. right? That, that actually, at the end of the day, all, all, all of this rests on force and the state, the state the state is an entity that, depending upon who controls it or what it feels, it's actually often described as a sort of uh, disembodied yeah. but, but thinking <laughs> right, right. thing in this novel. Um, depending upon who controls the state or, or what the state decides is in its interest, it may, for a time, choose choose to grant you rights that you recognize as liberal or believe come and, and, and believe are mm-hmm. permanent and sort of transhistorical and transcontextual but the state may also change its mind when it when it determines that its interests yeah. or the interests of its but, people of whom right. it sees itself as the the kind of guardian and an embodiment have changed yes i think that's right but then we get ourselves into the, to the problem that you just articulated which is that we're imagining now the state is some kind of anthropomorphic Right. Being. Right. Which it is not. It yeah. is nothing more than the collection of people. Sure. People acting in particularly routinized ways. Yeah. And Lynch doesn't give us any reason to understand that. Right. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to keep, keep, keep arguing with you, but, yeah. but hey, <laughs> why not? He did the yeah. bit. Um, I, I think that the process he's trying to narrate is the state um, changing the people and changing their their conception of what their rights are? And, and part of it is if there's particularly recalcitrant members of it, you just like liquidate them or, or force them to flee. I mean, the yeah. state actually has some interest in allowing some people just to get out of its borders so that the people who remain are maybe a bit more amenable. But also it's a process of, um, you know, they, they control the flow of information. They, they mm-hmm. do, there's, there's this quote about... Um, uh, where Eilish is explaining what the most terrible thing is and one reason why she hasn't left. She, she, she hasn't left because Larry was disappeared and she thinks he's dead. She's, she, she, hasn't, she, yeah. she, she hasn't left precisely because she doesn't she know doesn't that know. he's dead. Yeah. And she's given no, right. you know, it, it's the silence. Yeah. And she says the silence doesn't end, you see. They leave open the possibility that what you want will be returned someday. Mm-hmm. And so you remain reduced, paralyzed, dull as an old knife, and the silence does not end because the silence is the source of their power. That is its secret meaning. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the silence is the source of their power. They also power is the, yeah. <laughs> is the source of their power. Yeah. But it is one tactic, this kind of, you know, disorientation and, and sort of blinding mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the citizenry and, and sort of holding... Larry is, is almost certainly dead, but the possibility he's not dead is, mm-hmm. makes him also a hostage. Yeah. And if you leave, you know, you, you, the hostage will not be returned. And the, the eldest son, you know... If he leaves it earlier in the story, if he leaves Ireland and this is really only a temporary thing when he comes back mm-hmm. or, or, or he can never come back yeah. and we're probably going to close the border. So if he leaves, you probably never see him again, yeah. even though it might be the thing that saves his life. And it's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of, that's the process the state is engaged in to consolidate it, its conception of what your rights are. I agree. That's his intention. Okay. I, I will simply say. It imagines, it simultaneously imagines too much and not enough of the state. It's almost certainly the case, as we later will find out, that the reason why Eilish can't find out anything about about Larry's fate is not just because the state is intentionally trying to create a period of silence or a moment of silence. It's, It's because there's vast lack of understanding and likely incompetence 
on the part of the people who make up the state, right? They probably don't know what's happened to him or they don't care, well, which yes. is different right. than this image of the conspiratorial, you know, one-dimensional evil state that is controlling everything, including the flows of information mm -hmm. and is exercising power in obviously restrictive and intentional ways. Right. And it's just, we just know that that's not how power works. But it is, a, it is a, it, it's another way in which the notion of the comfortable liberal and, and its relationship yeah. to the state is, is, is kind of severed. And, and one way in which uh, pe people who interact with the state from a position of privilege exert that, that comfort mm -hmm. or that security is by finding the state to be broadly predictable sure. and competent, right? Like, why, why do you keep savings in a bank? It's because you, you don't think the bank's going to be like, I don't know, how much money do we have? It's like there's a record. It's enforceable yeah. in the courts and, the, and there's predictability and that's the whole core of things. And, and yes, I agree that the state is not omnicompetent, but actually its incompetence is another source of its power because it, it removes from yeah. any, any citizen the ability to, to expect any predictable response to your actions. Yeah. I look, I, I agree that this is that Lynch intends to shock a particular kind of reader out of a sense of complacency. Right. Right. I agree. Okay. All right. Good. So, uh, so it sounds like I won that uh, hands down, which is, <laughs> which is the, the point I want to, before we leave this, this yeah. question on mythologies, Jeff, I thought we might just talk for a few minutes about, um, another societal meaning structure that of, uh, parenthood or yeah. family. Um, do, do you want to, I mean, I have some thoughts on this. Do you want to lead, lead us off on this? Sure. I, I mean, I, I actually found the Lynch's depictions of some of the family relations to be the best and most interesting and, uh, meaningful parts of okay. the narrative. Um, I think he's, he's actually quite good in describing Eilish's sense of disorientation um, and kind of feeling of powerlessness as um, the older son, Mark, right, is starting to kind of come into his own sense of self um, and her inability to kind of understand what, her sense that she's losing the, a connection here. Uh, uh, the connection of a mother to, to a child, but is kind of powerless to know what to do or how to do anything about it, right? an inability to navigate in a productive way that, you know, she she she's she understands that she's no longer able to keep him safe, but she doesn't know what to do, right, and. You, and the same thing happens to the to the younger son Bailey as well, right? She's feeling the same thing that happens. Um, conversely, with the daughter, and and this is a surprise, I think, to Eilish, right? The the daughter was seen as pretty independent, yeah. And as it goes gets worse and worse, the situation does. The relationship between mother and daughter gets closer and closer, right? Um, and so I actually think that the story is most interesting and most effective when it's small like that when it when it depicts the the sense of of unclarity about how relationships between parents and children change yeah. at different stages yeah. of each other's lives and um putting that within this kind of context of danger I think is was especially useful and interesting and evocative. Yeah, 
Um, so like I said, I, to me, that is the best part of this novel mm. and, and that's the best and the most interesting part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, on that, there's just a couple of points mm. that I want to make on, you know, before we move on to the next section. Um, Eilish's father is an interesting character in yeah. this regard. Like it's, I think it's fairly obvious what he's doing in the mm. in the story, the function he's he's playing. But I, but I still think it's relatively effective. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a um, an older man who is who is becoming more like more dependent on us, so in mm -hmm. some sense, returning to 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 a childhood state. Yeah. Um, he's got some state of dementia, and he has dementia. And I yeah. think that is useful because it allows him to have moments of confusion and moments mm -hmm. of absolute clarity. And yeah. at one point, he just says to her like leave you've yeah. got to leave yep. like th it's clear what's happening yeah. and other points he does he wanders off and he doesn't know right. where he is which is it's a it's you could critique it for being a little on the nose yeah. but it's the exact psychological state of eilish as well yeah you know moments of realization of horror and moments yeah. of deep confusion that was interesting and then i thought the there were two parts that really struck me from a, from mm -hmm. a, a parenthood or a fatherhood parenthood mm -hmm. perspective I mean, one is the the, the obvious, most horrifying uh, part, which which I think was was really hard to leave was was Eilish's discovery of the fate of um, yeah the not the baby but the young Bailey. boy, and that yeah. that I did find memorable for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. I know that's Lynch's effect, but it's just a genuinely horrifying yeah you know uh, moments and and sequence and and fate, and I thought he effectively. God, who knows? And I hope no, no one ever knows. You know, yeah. but it, but it, but it did ring authentic to. Yes, I agree. That was the most disturbing. Right, scene, I thought. In yeah, and it's it's really a disturbing book. I, I thought it was really a climax, but, or a you know. But again, like here, this feels to me. I I don't understand why this is Bailey's fate. Yeah, the reader doesn't understand this. One could understand if it were the older son, Mark. Well, but I think they were they were they were trying to get they were trying to both find Mark through Bailey. They assumed Bailey might know something, but they were also just trying to punish Mark through 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 Bailey. And they're just they're sadists, you know, or, or or that regime certainly attracts and particularly in its in its power ministries, its power apparatus, is gonna be attractive to sadists because they can do the things that they really wanted yeah. to do. But but it's sort of restrained by polite society. So one other thing I want to, I mean, we're running out of time in this mm -hmm. in this section. There is one quote I wanted to read to you that I thought was a particularly beautiful mm -hmm. piece of writing. And it's after I, I think it might be Bailey, but I don't have the I don't quite remember the context, but one of the children has a dream that the father yeah. returns to them. Uh, and Eilish explains this dream or, or or seeks to talk to the child about this dream. Uh, your father is with you all the time, she says, even while he's gone. That is the meaning of the dream. Your father came home to remind you that he's always here with you. Because your father is always alive in your heart. Mm -hmm. He is here with you now, with his arm around you, and you will always be here because the love we are given when we are loved as a child is stored forever inside us. And your father has loved you so very much, his love for you cannot be taken away nor erased. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was a the sort mm -hmm. of really beautiful piece of writing and really, really essential to the emotional experience of the novel. Yeah, and and again And and true. He he, he succeeds most obviously. Lynch does. Yeah. When he's small. Like right. when the narrative is small and it's tightly focused and he's exploring things that are not bigger than the than the Stack family. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that has emerged as we've been talking about the novel is that as soon as he seeks to step outside of the 
of the specific daily experience of the Stack families where he loses his footing pretty, pretty severely. Okay. And we are back with um, section three of our discussion of Paul Lynch's Prophet Song. This is the section that we call uh, Critique. Yes. And I think you wanted to start with the, with the critics. Yeah. So this book has been overwhelmingly positively received by critics. Um, as you had mentioned, I think at the outset, it just recently, I think maybe a month ago or six weeks ago, won the Booker Prize, right. which is this very prestigious fiction prize yeah. in, uh, in England. And um, just a, a kind of superficial canvas of the reviews of this book would lead you to believe that it has really hit a spot um, in the critical acclaim. And um, so I I think we should talk about a little bit about why. Mm -hmm. It seems like this book has been so well received by critics. And then I think we should talk about whether that is something that kind of critical acclaim translates into popular acclaim and maybe ask ourselves what it means to have success at this prestige level yeah. versus success at, at a broader, more popular level. Okay, yeah. so that's interesting. So the, I, I suspect it's critically well-received, even if you're agnostic on, on quality or mm -hmm. you know um, uh, technical accomplishments. I suspect it's critically well-received because it fits with the self-regard mm -hmm. <laughs> of um liberal upper middle class highly mm -hmm. educated people i.e precisely the people who, who who might go into the profession of being literary critic yep you know in the um the, the people who have dinner and run in the same social circles is larry and eilish stack yeah exactly which which does make you wonder is there and i can't i can't quite put my finger on it but is there some kind of meta point or grand irony in in the, the book functioning as a as an intended wake up call to comfortable liberals yeah. which is then received rapturously by comfortable, comfortable liberals beca because it um it completely reinforces their existing self-perception which mm -hmm. is which I, which i would say maybe this is too harsh i mean you can pull me up if it is but um but the, no i don't i mean but the plan of action here is to post on twitter one's self-righteous outrage yes but to do nothing else right so so the so the 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 the, the way it's received, I mean, let, let me just read yeah. it rather than just dancing around it. So there's yeah. Mercer Harrison, the uh, critic in The Guardian, and the book is The Irish Offspring of the Handmaid's Tale in 1984. No stage in the city's awful descent is unlikely, exaggerated, or difficult to believe. After all, we've seen it all unfold from the comfort of our sofas in former Yugoslavia, in Afghanistan, in Ukraine. I think there's several other places she, you know, she meant to, she would meant Syria yeah. as well would be another. And the, the there's that kind of... um liberal upper middle class self apparent self-flagellation the yes. comfort of our sofas yeah, that's exactly it right that but, but but actually the the it's dressed up as self-flagellation what she really means is you why, why aren't you doing more to stop this mm -hmm. thing in the world you're very comfortable and the, as you say the plan of action is to post on twitter yeah. a scalding yep. <laughs> repudiation of um uh, everyone else who hasn't been sufficiently activist mm -hmm. or or morally pure or engaged in yep. uh you know this this evil in the in the world mm -hmm. and 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 for, for, for people who find that unconvincing you know the why haven't you done anything when i'm sat here wagging your finger you might say to me well 
y'all sat here too. You're, you're yes. just wagging your finger at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, I think, points to the fatalism of the book itself. Mm. D- to the extent that there's a message here, uh, some sort of positive message that Lynch is offering, it's this kind of like, you know, shock us out of our complacency. Yeah. But I don't know who's complacent, right? The the thing I really struggled with as I was reading the book is who's the audience for this book? Yeah. Um, who needs to be shocked out of their complacency? And I'm wondering now as we talk if if it's like critical, you know, the, as you call them, the comfortable liberals, mm-hmm. right? the people who... Um, who sit on the couch and actually are privileged enough to imagine that their lives are unimpacted by not just political events, but by sort of social formations mm. and, you know, community um, changes in the community, right? And trends in the community to imagine that their privilege insulates them from all external influences. But that's a very small population, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what the other plan of action here is. I mean, it's not that a book has to have a plan of action necessarily, but this is not, you know, this is not George Orwell, you know, in 1984, portending to a, a pretty complacent global audience, right? A pretty self-satisfied complacent global audience in the sort of World War II and post-World War II era, Right. This is this is a work of fiction that is received into a world that in, you know, is kind of on fire. Yeah. Like so, I don't know who, who needs to be shocked out of their complacency. So so that's so. If if you say there is a, a it, it, within the genre of um kind of political totalitarian novels or mm-hmm. depictions of of dystopianism. Orwell's 1984 is successful and Paul Lynch's prophet song is un- is unsuccessful. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. W- what is the difference? It's just that Orwell c- came first or, you know, p- pointed out things people had not already seen, whereas timing Lynch is, is saying important. things. Yeah. yeah. Timing is important. Okay. Like, this feels like a book that 20 years ago might have been brave. Mm-hmm. Now it feels trendy. Okay. Yeah. So does it succeed then as a as a, a a document? You know, it's it's not it's not saying new things, but it's a it's a particularly skillful encapsulation Maybe. of of those things. Maybe. Uh, like I said, I I believe, as I said in the previous section, to the extent that the novel works, it works on a small scale. Yeah. When it goes small and when it fixates on the parent child relations. Yeah, yeah, and and Eilish's um, Eilish's response to the novels critique that you 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 are one of the people who needed to be shocked out of your complacency and and was not shocked out of your complacency mm-hmm. in time and so you're you're kind of paying the price in yeah. in losses to your to your family Alicia's response is um she says at one point uh, she's recalling something her sister said mm-hmm. uh, and her sister keeps saying leave her sister's in canada and sends her money and the means to leave the self-satisfied voice on the phone history is a silent record of people who did not know where when to leave which mm-hmm. is what her sister had said to her History is a silent record of people who could not leave. It is a record of those who did not have a choice. You cannot leave when you have nowhere to go and have not the means to go there. You cannot leave when your children cannot get a passport, cannot go when your feet are rooted in the earth, and to leave means tearing off your feet. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the 
the response here, but it, but again, that, that that undercuts the the idea that this is shocking people out of complacency because you know it, it gets to something you were saying just off camera a minute ago that that the highly the people don't don't actually have a choice that the, there is no there is no benefit to being shocked out of a complacency because there's no viable path of action yeah. when these circumstances actually do arise. Right, and it's also that line is also undercut by the narrative in the novel itself, For, uh, on, in multiple ways. First of all. They do have the means to leave, mm. right? They do have a place to go. They are advised over and over again to take it, but even more so, you know, the only thing that's, and there are two things that seem to be rooting, three things, I guess, that seem to be rooting Eilish to, to Dublin. The first is the unknown fate of Larry, which is pretty known and people are telling her, right? right? But she, she can't accept it. Yeah. The lack of passports for the baby and the older son, well, it turns out that she's not all that concerned about a lack of passport for her older son because she concocts what can only be described as a harebrained scheme to have some neighbor who she barely knows have her brother smuggle Mark over the border in a rolled up carpet. So she's perfectly willing to make that choice, mm. she thinks, for her son, but not for herself. And the third thing that roots her is her her father's presence. But as you noted earlier, her father has has made it quite clear that she should go mm. and not worry about him. Mm. Because in another moment of lucidity, he says, they, they don't care about me. I'm, I'm old and I'm not doing anything. Right. And it doesn't, nothing matters anyway. Right. So the, Lynch seems to me to be pretty inconsistent. On, on one hand, it's all fatalistic. And so as you're right, what's the point in shocking somebody out of their complacency if if nothing can change anyway and if nothing can be done anyway? On the other hand, the the narrative itself seems to suggest a series of choices that Eilish is making. She's not fated to this outcome. And that she, she it's not just that she doesn't know when to leave, she doesn't understand when she needs to make a hard decision on behalf of some of her family rather than for example, on her husband's fate. She imagines that she can control the outcome for everyone in the family. And even when it becomes clear that she cannot, she then just chalks her inaction up to fate, mm. or at least Lynch would have us believe that that's what she's doing. Mm. Um, so again, I, I just, I'm not sure if we can agree that the audience for whom this shocking out of complacency is intended is to, you know, people who are writing critical reviews, rapturous critical reviews, what are they then to do if it's all faded anyway? Yeah. So you, you might, I think you, you, you might. You can write on Twitter. Yes. You can fire off, you know, hectoring and self-righteous tweets. Well, I there do seem to be rather a lot of people who believe that's a good way yes. to spend their time. Anyway, yeah. you you might uh, some might suggest that wouldn't I wouldn't of course you associate myself with that, with that with yeah. that position necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you might agree with Cal Reveille Calder, the mm -hmm. critic of the Daily Telegraph, who who was a, a descending voice actually yeah. in the Universal Print, almost Universal Print. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the problem is how Lynch imagines political fiction to work. There isn't much to be gained from slamming morals upon the table. Mm -hmm. Most people who care about an issue as big as the refugee crisis already know what they think. Yeah. That could be me were I not in the West is the most basic thought any person can have. Yeah. You know, so yeah. maybe he's he's kind of nailed it. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to say in this section on, 
on critique? Well, I think what is the what do we think that the function of prestige entertainment like this is? Yeah, right. It's not the only prestige texts that we've looked at. I, I think The Last of Us, for example, is intended as a, a kind of prestige show. Right. Um, but is that kind of popular culture text, does it have a different intention or a different goal, a different set of functions than, than a, a piece of popular culture that is more explicitly pitched towards a broad audience? Yeah, it's very interesting. So that... So, so the function of, of literary fiction is, is is has to be at some level to be um, the pleasurable art yeah. or, or or elevating art. So there has to be a certain sort of uh, quality, for, mm -hmm. for want of a better word, a, a sort of facility with technique and 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 story construction yeah. and so forth. Um, you know, it's clearly not intended to be a. It's not a romance novel or a young adult. You know, for, not not denigrating those, but it's not not intended to be one of those more kind of popular arts. Um, there's also the classic function of of the 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 work of high pop, or or that maybe even regard itself as elevated, quote yeah. unquote, above popular culture, of being the the work of the seer who sees things a little more acutely, or a little more mm -hmm. clearly, or can express them in a more yeah beautiful or succinct or whatever the artistic kind of measure of merit is way, and so they they, they kind of command more attention. Be mm. Because they are allowing you to see things that other, quote unquote, lesser talents would not allow you to see. Um, so, so they would be the traditional, one traditional kind of set of benchmarks by yeah. which you judge judge this work. It's very interesting you mentioned The Last of Us, yeah. which I agree is this, occupies a similar place of high pop. Mm -hmm. And what we thought of The Last of Us was, this is a highly competent yes. um recitation of a set of or, mm -hmm. or, or regurgitation of a set of genre yep. tropes and techniques mm -hmm. and it's done very well and it's very watchable yeah for those reasons but it's also familiar mm -hmm. and it 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 doesn't so much help us to see things more clearly or see things in new, but it reminds us of other works that helped us see things more clearly or, sure. or sees them in new. And I, I actually wonder if we don't end up in broadly the same mm -hmm. place, you know, and, and I'm not sure we, I, I think we were not as high on the last of us as the, as the general critics, right. but, but we also had the same sort of sense that we perhaps have with this book, which is if this, if the last of us is the first, of that genre that you'd seen, you'd be like, my God, this is the greatest right. thing ever. Right. And if Prophet Song is the first dystopian novel you'd read, you, you, you'd think, yeah. my goodness, what a revolutionary thing. But mm -hmm. but when you see it perhaps in, in a stream of such works, you can sort of admire, admire its construction or the yeah. way it's put together elements of other more yeah. original works more than you can say, I, I sort of wholeheartedly endorse this as a revolutionary piece of, Right. Of, of art. Right. Yeah, I think that that's all broadly correct. And I also wonder sometimes if maybe we draw the distinction between the prestige and the popular too sharply. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if, if we think about, I mean, isn't it true that in the history of contemporary popular culture, that by and large, the most popular creators are also the most critically lauded? Perhaps not in the moment, but over time, right? Um, you know, in the American in the American literature context, for example, think of someone like Edgar Allan Poe, 
or Mark Twain or later authors like Hemingway and Fitzgerald, the great Gatsby in particular, right, is um, it was not at the time that it was released and especially popular and it didn't do especially well in the marketplace, but it did in the 1950s and 1960s when they began to distribute it for free amongst GIs uh, overseas. And so or, or think about uh, the works of Herman Melville, right? Like Moby Dick was very popular at the time and it stands as you know, one of the foundational works of American literature, of American popular culture. So I, sometimes I wonder if we draw, if the distinction is too tightly drawn, that that actually one of the things that should make a work of art revolutionary, that should help us to see in ways that we couldn't otherwise see, is precisely that it, it has found a way to express itself that is articulating with a broad audience and not a tiny critical audience. I don't know how you... Yeah, no, I mean, I, mean, I yes, I, I, I see what you're saying. Or think about music. music. We could do the same thing in music, right? Yeah. Aren't, aren't, aren't the Beatles... The, uh... the Beatles, the Stones, even for a period, you know, a band close to, to our hearts, Radiohead, yeah. right, for a time. Phenomenally popular, right. right, for a time. And also, that's their most critically lauded work. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes I wonder if this, you know, we imagine this hierarchy to exist in our popular culture products that leads us astray in understanding the actual, the actual work that those products. Well, and it's all, it's also, it's, it's not something you can tell in the moments, right? It, it yeah. almost by definition relies upon understanding the long-term effect and the, and the, the long-term cultural influence of a, of a piece of work, which, right. which can't be told in the moment, right. you know, and there's, there's lots of things I'm sure that, that, our works that we that, that make something of a stir, or maybe even go on slightly unnoticed, but will will yeah. there to be rediscovered or, or, and or regarded versa. as yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. It works perhaps like Prophet Song, yeah, that make a big critical stir and then kind of disappear, and right. everybody forgets about them. Right. Yep. Yeah, entirely, entirely plausible. Now, did I? We we started out. I mean, I started out. I, I didn't love this, but I thought mm -hmm. it was. I thought it was very interesting with some yeah. some quite effective passages you started out hating it to have i have have we changed our minds i i don't think i like it less having listened uh -huh. to you i mean i take i take on board what you're saying mm -hmm. um and i was i was never like super high in it but i yeah but I, I had a kind of medium lukewarm <laughs> reaction to it have, yeah. have i have i softened your yeah hatred yeah a little bit um so yeah i used to, i i mean, you've softened it a little bit but i i remain perplexed Okay. by this novel and I remain thinking that it makes a series of choices that I think are broadly ineffective and that make what could have been an important and interesting story that could have done more than shock the complacency of, you know, prestige critics. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. Well, uh, should we uh, leave it there? Yes. Okay, so on that bombshell. <laughs>